in our consideration, I would like to have you turn, if you will, to, if you have a Bible before you or a way to get to Revelation chapter 8. I'd like to just read a couple of verses from Revelation chapter 8, and I'm going to launch out by describing why this has been an intriguing passage for me, even just this morning. Um, as, uh, as I have been talking to some folks here recently about prayer and about uh, the early church, the, uh, the matter of Acts chapter 4, where they prayed and the place in which they were meeting um, was shaken, um, has always intrigued me because um, uh, they were keeping records of earthquakes back then. And there's, uh, from what I can discern, there's no record of a localized earthquake, and yet the scripture records the place was shaken in which they met as a result of their prayer meeting. And, um, and after that, the Holy Spirit uh, moved them forward in gospel advance. So with that in our minds, I would like to ask a question, and that question would be, what happens when we pray? When we launch into our prayer time in a few moments, or yesterday, maybe in church, uh, you prayed, or even this morning as you thank God for your breakfast or your lunch or dinner, whatever time of day you've been praying, um, out there in this invisible realm, we know we do spiritual warfare in a realm that we cannot see. When we pray, what happens to our prayers? We know that, obviously, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before the Lord and, and, um, and that he hears our prayers, and yet we also know that there is a spiritual warfare component to our praying. So with that, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Um. It's almost as if those gathered were waiting to see what God would do next. There was, a, there was a silence. That's a whole different study that I've been on. What about silence in the Scripture? Silence and waiting. That's kind of where I ended. That's, where, that's what generated me looking at this text. But then I continued in verse 2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, or we would say even a golden bowl, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the altar, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it upon, into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So if you could imagine this scene in heaven, imagine that on this altar before God's throne are many prayers. We could even say piles of prayers. We could say maybe even centuries of prayers. And uh, they are as fire 
the Bible says. Their smoke is rising up from the altar before God, and then an angel takes a bowl to the altar, and this is not Greek language, but kind of scoops, I would picture, scoops them, uh, scoops some of these flames of prayers into the bowl. Then he casts it onto or into the earth to accomplish, in this case, judgment, but we could also say to accomplish God's will. So I just want to encourage us with this, and this has been, um, I'm always um, I'm always challenged by things like this. I'm always challenged to make sure I'm not <laughs> relaying some ancient heresy or something, but but um, I just want to encourage us that according to this text, it appears that none of our prayers are ever lost. That what we have is a collection of our prayers. They are valuable to the Lord. He saves them. They are fuel, it appears to be, for his use. So they are stored on the altar of God until he chooses to use them for his purpose. We could even say it's our role in God's plan. So none of these prayers are weak. None of these prayers are pointless. God gathers them on the altar in his presence. I mean, this is intriguing. We could spend a lot of time here, but in his presence, before his throne, So evidently, these amassed prayers are very important to him, even to the point of silence for 30 minutes. So I'm just curious as to maybe God is just savoring these prayers. They are a treasure to him. And I don't know that it's inappropriate to think that this has an application other than this one point of judgment. Because in Daniel chapter 10, you'll remember, as Daniel was praying, and the Lord sends, and God sends Michael the archangel to do spiritual warfare so that the angel of the Lord can reach Daniel. When the angel of the Lord reaches Daniel with the answer to his prayer, he says this, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the Lord. We would even say discipline thyself before the Lord. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So I don't think it's untoward to think that this angel is communicating to Daniel, we value your words. They are treasure to us. Um, And even your chastened words or your costly praying, your disciplined praying, what Stephen referred to the other day as inconvenient, um, um, not inconvenient Christianity, but it's inconvenient sometimes for us to be aggressive in prayer. They are so treasured before the Lord. Now, put Revelation chapter 5 as a backdrop, and that earthquake that's in Revelation, um, Revelation chapter 8, I'm sorry, and that earthquake... Um, And pair that with Acts chapter 4 that we've often referred to. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Paul and and John were released from prison, and they met with their own, and they prayed. I'm sorry, Peter and John. And when they had prayed, verse 31, the place was shaken 
where they were assembled together, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So could it be that as a result of their praying and a result of the onset of the church, that God scooped some of those altar prayers off the altar and poured it on that early church gathering. And there was a shaking, just as there was the earthquake, or, or will be the earthquake in judgment. There was the divine shaking of this pouring out of the prayers. It is the power that can only come from God. Um, Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, Paul and Silas were in prison. And the scripture says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. So here again is a quaking connected to praying. In fact, in verse 16, we're told, as it came to pass, as we went to prayer. So there's, there's a connection here between our praying, God's responding, even with a shaking. And, uh, and could it be that what we can't see is that our prayers, every single prayer that we pray is effective in this regard. Um, we pray for gospel advance on this, this prayer call. We pray for revival. It is not inappropriate to pray for a gospel shaking. God's done it before, and he can do it again. And um, so I was just challenged this morning, even with the thought of pray without ceasing. Why? Because our prayers are being collected in the presence of the Lord for his usefulness, for his as a tool in his hand. So men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, yes, I think somebody mentioned here lately, we're not here for numbers. But the more numbers there are, the more prayers there are, and the more prayers are gathered in heaven to be used by God. So pray lots. Let's long to see the use of our prayers by God and know that God hears us and has a plan, and uses our prayers to accomplish that plan.